This week on the Grimerica Show, the guys chat with author Nigel Wright, also known as a crazy ufologist. Okay, gang, welcome back to uh, your latest installment of the Grimerica Show. Uh, Darren here with me as always is Graham. How's it going, Graham? Hey, I'm not too bad after a, an exciting uh, ride home last night. Yeah, did you get caught in that uh, thunderstorm? I. Uh, yeah, right in the middle of it with a flat tire on my brand new bike <laughs> running through the pouring rain to get home. And uh, honestly, I've never been so shit scared by lightning and thunder. Like I saw the lightning and heard the thunder running with my metal bike um, and it shook my body. And I, and I ran around the corner and there's these two girls on the balcony and they were like screaming and exclaiming, holy shit, that was close. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, just about home after like a 10K run. <laughs> That'll teach you to exercise. Yeah, exactly. No, it was, it was, uh, considering that, it was kind of fun. Was it pretty busy downtown with the stampede and all? Yeah, I was getting there. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to go near that place this year. It's gone up. Like when I first moved here, it was eight bucks to get in. Now it's up to like, I think it's over 20. And it's like $10 a beer and it's crowded and I'm done. I'm yeah, done. Yeah, I'll, I'll go, I'll go check it out. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you'll have to fill us in on, on all your stampeding. Um, so did you hear about that uh, that train over in Quebec, I guess, first thing this morning? Yeah, just, I'm, you know, sorry uh, for anybody that's been affected by that. Yeah, yeah our, 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 our thoughts go out to uh, to all those over in Quebec that uh, that might have been affected by that. Uh, I think it was something like 80 car uh, pile up or something like that. What or? was it? Something about a runaway train that uh, ended up, yeah, it was a, a runaway train. I think the engineer popped out or something, and he was waiting for his relief, and the, the train ended up taking off with nobody behind the controls and uh, exploding in the downtown of um, um, a little city, little town in Quebec of 6,000 people, I think. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see if, uh, and I, I even hate to bring this up, but to see if uh, the conspiracy theorists have anything strange to say about this. Yeah, well, there is all that uh, pipeline talk, but um, we'll 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 uh, we'll keep our ear to the ground and and see what comes up in the future. But for now, uh, I just hope uh, everyone turns up okay. But uh, it's not looking like that's that's going to be the case. What do you think the pipeline is going to be shown to be safer mode of transporting oil? Yeah, that uh, that would be uh, what one uh, thought I would imagine. I, I can almost guarantee you that somebody will use it uh, as a as a platform yeah right yeah i've actually got a, a clip here from from one of the witnesses here I, i'd like to play today i want you to take us back to the moment of the first explosion what did you see and hear uh well quite simply it was uh out of a good old movie fireball coming out from downtown of uh, lake mechanic and a nice thud in the chest from the shock wave nice bright lights a nice huge bang also. It was a firework display from uh, from hell. Well, you know, you, you talk about a shockwave. Did you feel anything when the explosion happened? Yes. Describe that for us. Uh, well, it's hard to describe. People who know what a shockwave is will understand. Uh, it's just like being hit in the chest with, uh, I don't know, a two-by-four. Now, I'm trying to get some clarification here, Zeph, because I, I understand this happened around Lac Megantic. How close yep. was the train derailment to the actual downtown itself? Uh, it was downtown. Uh, where the train derailed, 
is uh, within, I'd say, 50 feet from Main Street. And uh, basically what happened from what I've heard around here is the train uh, had uh, some kind of mechanical problem. I can't confirm anything here, okay? This is just hearsay. But uh, basically the train had mechanical problems or caught fire or something like that. uh, One town over in uh, Nantes, Quebec. And uh, the, uh, from what I heard, the guy jumped out of the train and the train just came into town into Lake Veganic going about 100 miles an hour. So, uh, but again, important to note, and you noted yourself, at this point, this is speculation, not yet confirmed yes, by absolutely. officials. Uh, but when absolutely. the explosions first happened, Zeph, uh, what did you think was happening? Uh- so that sounds uh, pretty crazy. You should see the video. We'll make sure we link to the video in the show notes. It looks like a pretty scary place to be, and I, just, I hope everyone uh, ended up okay. On, a, on the brighter side, we got our, our first uh, fan, fan mail there a little while back. Uh, we've been meaning to read it, but we've been pretty busy. But uh, I suppose we might as well get to that today. Eh? It's pretty exciting. Our first official uh, fan mail. We haven't got any hate mail yet, so that's good too. Yeah, no hate mail so far. And uh, got to apologize to Jared Drake for our delay in in, uh, in reading this out. But anyways, this is what he says. Hey guys, loving the show. I've just listened to all your shows to date over the last two days. Overload, but I found it easy to keep up. He's a huge fan of the Graylian Report and MU, which is Mysterious Universe. So I know the content really well. To me, your show is like having a conversation with your mates at a bar, discussing the movie we all just went to, where the movie is topics from the Graylian Report or MU, and the bar is in my head. I say this as the explicit language and the casual pace you guys have is nice and relaxed. It's like being able to just develop the conversation further, I like it. Keep it up, guys. I know it isn't your full-time gig, so you don't have the luxury that others may have, but I thoroughly enjoyed all the content. Nice start, well done, and cheers from a fan way down here in New Zealand. And he says here, I shotgun the spot of being your first Kiwi ambassador. Cheers, lads. And you get the spot. So here's the Kiwi ambassador sound uh, anthem, I suppose. What is that? That's a kiwi. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you don't have to hear many of those. What is it? A bird? Yeah. Now, now, from now on, whenever before we read an email, we're gonna a fan email. We're gonna play this. (laughs) And you guys can thank our kiwi ambassador Jared Drake for that. And I thought we had a here bad here with those uh, birds. What are those birds hanging around here all the time? Magpies. Magpies. Yeah, they're pretty squawky. Yeah, I think you're allowed to kill them. But nothing like this Hitchcock sound. <laughs> so, anyways, I'm I'm glad he mentioned that uh, about keeping up because sometimes I'm concerned about that. That uh, if people aren't interested in these topics, that they may not have may not be able to to keep up with some of the stuff we're talking about. And I don't mean that in a, in a condescending way. I just mean that sometimes I wonder if we should make this podcast a little more general or talk about things in a little more sort of one hundred and one type way. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe someone can email and let us know. I think our our audience has a general consensus uh, of what's going on, though. So yeah, I just don't want to limit it to to people that are really have a hardcore interest in all this stuff. You know? Yeah. No, neither do I. So I think our our wide scope of guests should uh, should help yeah, uh, yeah. keep uh, keep our a lot of people interested. Anyways, thanks for the email, Jared Drake. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks, and uh, to our new Kiwi ambassador. And uh, we got some books here, too, we want to talk about. Yeah, we got some books in the mail from the people over at Inner Traditions. Uh, th- uh, we'd like to say thanks to them, of course. Uh, 
And of course, we're going to have the authors on probably uh, we are July filled up really quick. So we're probably looking at it'll be over into August now before we have them on. Uh, the first one here is Frank Joseph's book, uh, Before Atlantis, 20 Million Years of Human and Pre-Human Cultures. And the next one we got is uh, by Finley Eversoll, Ph.D., and the forward is by Carl Merritt, MD, and it's Energy Medicine Technologies. That's ozone healing, microcrystals, frequency therapy, and the future of health. Yeah, my wife actually started reading that one already, I think. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. That's right up my alley. And then here's the next one. Um, A True Story of Interplanetary Travel by Len Caston. That's the secret journey to planet Serpo. Actually, this guy's going to be on the Graylian Report coming up. Yeah, actually, yeah, it was near. Yeah, he's on the Grilling Report next week. Yeah, yeah next so week. You guys so, can check that out. He'll be on there before he's on here. Yeah. Um. So uh, we'll make sure we. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can listen to the Grilling first and make sure we get some new stuff. Or, and of course, you guys can email in any questions you'd like to ask yourselves. So. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one because that's that's kind of. Um, I think the ufological community oh, has a difficult. <laughs> no, I have a difficult time with that one. But hey, you never know. You never know. Some of this stuff might be true. Yeah, I don't know. He's going to have a tough time changing my mind, but I can't wait to read it. Yeah. I read, like, the first chapter already. It seems pretty crazy. Yeah, and there's, like, good. a whole list of the shit they brought with them and where they lived. It's all documented in the back. So have you heard anything about these uh, leaked U.S. Army plans for re-education camps in America? Uh, no, nothing at all. Oh, it was on, uh, it was on before it's news.com. Uh, Uh, Apparently some files have been leaked saying that there's plans to have these camps, which would basically be uh, like an internment camp, it seems like, uh, for political political activists and uh, I suppose protesters. You mean terrorists? Yeah, I guess uh, domestic terrorists. They're pretty much going to be all classified in the same thing pretty quick here. I don't know if I believe it. Where did it come from? Uh, Before it's news. Hmm. He's got even the document here, dude. So is that true? Yeah. Just like the MJ-12 documents are true? Yeah, that's right. Is this um, where those, like, where the big camps are getting made, those FEMA camps and stuff? That's not that, is it? Yeah, well, that's the thing, is it kind of fucking ties into that. It seems like, uh, like, this just came out, I think. But it kind of ties into that whole FEMA camp thing. It says here that the the Department of Homeland Security and FEMA are both involved, along with uh, the UN and and the Red Cross. I really don't see how that would fly. I mean, can you imagine saying to people that we're going to put you in what is it? Re-education? Yeah, re-education where you're going to where you're going to be uh taught to uh obey basically, yeah. <laughs> All right. A psychological operations officer will deal with you. Oh my god, yeah. Oh, that's up. So I don't know. I would fuck. I wouldn't surprise me. And then I, I was reading something earlier too about a bunch of ammunition. That uh, remember a while ago, everyone was all up in arms about all this ammunition that being uh, bought that the yep. Department of Homeland Security had bought. Now it's disappeared. And now it's disappeared. <laughs> so what the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. We got to dig into that a little bit more. I just yeah. I just seen seen that article come out today someplace. Yeah. But it, apparently this $1.6 billion worth of ammunition has disappeared, or it's been deployed. Deployed? Deployed. How do you deploy ammunition? You deploy it to the people who need to use it. To oh, 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 like, okay. Lockdown, bitch. <laughs> it's been distributed, you mean? 
Yeah, exactly. Distributed to maybe something's coming that we don't know yeah, about. Yeah, I don't know. That's crazy, man. Egypt's already going crazy. Yeah, I don't know. And China and Russia aren't too happy, I don't think. It seems like everything's kind of just falling apart or something. Yeah, falling off the fucking rails, buddy. <laughs> Hold on. Here yeah. we go. And then there's all this Snowden shit. And now, yeah, we don't want to talk about that anymore. No, yeah, we've officially stopped talking about Edward Snowden. It's I'm hearing it everywhere we go, so you guys aren't going to have to put up with any of it, any more of it here. What about Egypt? I mean, you mentioned that. That's yeah. Well, I think crazy. yeah, it's getting pretty crazy over there. I follow uh, a blogger on uh, on my Twitter account. He blogs out of Egypt. Uh, I'm just popping on here because I don't remember. Uh, what his what his handle is and i want to make sure i uh i get it out here so yeah the big pharaoh it's just the big pharaoh at the big pharaoh and he's been tweeting out some pictures and talking about how uh, how the newspapers over there are saying that it's it's a revolution not a coup so basically uh He's saying that it's not the military that's taken over, uh, taking the place over. It's actually the citizens themselves. And we're hearing in the American mainstream media that it's a coup? Or they don't know what to call it, I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't watched a lot of mainstream on it, but it, that's definitely what I've been hearing is that angle is that uh, basically it's a military coup, which which I don't know. I don't know how that helps the state's posturing in any way, but I'm sure it makes a difference whether the people think it's a coup or a revolution, yeah, yeah. right? You don't want to get involved in a revolution. Yeah. A revolution's a country's right. Yeah, right. But maybe a coup, we can go in and yeah, fucking yeah, do whatever that's we all, want that's... there and put in whoever we want in power. And... Yeah. That's interesting. It's important how they label it. And it's, it's strange, though, how it's so divided, right? It's all these... Uh, all these supporters of the the current president, or is, I guess he's not a current president anymore, is he? He's out, right? And then yeah, all the, Morsi, and all the Morsi, dissenters. Morsi, I so, think, yeah. Yeah, Morsi with a Y or an I. Who knows? The spelling keeps changing, apparently. Oh, really? That's yeah. the first I heard about yeah, that. Yeah, that's what the No Agenda guys were saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't heard that one yet. That must have been the 4th of July one. What's today's the 6th of July? Yeah, 4th. So um, I suppose uh, we, we should uh, pump uh, Nigel's tires a little bit here before we get into the interview. Yeah, so Ni Nigel Wright, the crazy ufologist. I love how he, he actually calls yeah, himself Yeah, all, all one word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he's been blogging for our site a little bit. He's written a couple books. He was uh, a journalist with a couple papers, the paranormal journals back uh, in the 90s, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's been uh, he's been uh, a jur been writing for UFO phenomena and paranormal phenomena for over forty years now, and of course, yeah, he is a blogger for uh, for us here at Grimerica. Um, if you go to the site and just go to the crazy ufologist uh, blog, uh, that's all his stuff there. So he's got uh, he's got a great article up now about some of his work on mutilated whales and things like that uh, we will get into all that into the in, in the interview of course yeah hopefully yeah and uh, of course uh, we have a there's the time difference there so um, it's good night it's very nice of Nigel to stay up late to talk to us over here across the pond all right well I suppose we might as well uh, just get on to the matter of the hour you got anything else you want to get into here before uh, before we didn't do it no that's it here's our chat with Nigel Wright the crazy ufologist
Okay, guys, uh, enjoy the interview here. I just wanted to pop uh, back in real quick and uh, apologize for the first uh, four or four and a half minutes of the interview. Uh, Graham and I's audio is actually coming through the internal mic on the computer instead of the mixer, but after about four minutes, that'll clear right up. So uh, sorry about, about that, guys. Uh, enjoy. Okay, guys, welcome back to the, the Grimerica show. With us tonight, we have uh, Nigel Wright, the, the crazy ufologist, uh, as he's known on Twitter and, uh, and around uh, UFO circles in the, in the UK and, uh, and a few circles here in, in North America, I'm sure, just as well. Um, with me, as always, is Graham. How's it going, Graham? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to discussing some of my favorite topics. Yep, yeah, you're always uh, quite the UFO guy. So uh, thanks for joining us, Nigel. How's it going over over in uh, the UK? Well, hello. Uh, good evening from where I am. It's uh, just come 10 o'clock at night over here in the UK. Yep, I'm fine, thanks very much. A lovely sunny day. We've had uh, about 25 degrees of heat here today, which is pretty unusual. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, fine, thanks very much. You, you guys keeping all right? Yeah, it's been uh, good. We we had some flooding there a while back, but uh, the sun's been out lately. Today, it's it's kind of shitty, but uh, other than that, uh, it's been pretty nice. Uh, 25 is actually a pretty comfortable temperature. I'd rather rather have it around there than up in the 30s. Well, it, it can get a bit chilly here. Last, last couple of winters, it got down to about minus 10, which was, for us, uh, over in the UK, it's getting a bit chilly, you know, but... Uh, yeah, I can I can set up at twenty five. I lived in Spain a few years ago, and uh, I'm getting quite used to the sort of plus twenty temperatures there. Yeah, we go a lot lower than uh, we go a lot lower than minus ten yeah. in our winters. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so I suppose if if you could just take take a minute and let let uh, the audience know just who Nigel Wright is. Well, that's a good question. Who indeed is Nigel Wright? Okay, uh, Nigel Wright. Right, I'm fifty five years old. Um, I've been a ufologist now. Um, as a hobby for about 47 years. I started out, first of all, with a, a UFO sighting with my parents when we were on a, a caravanning or trailer holiday, as you call it, over that side, um, when I was eight. So uh, mum and dad woke up one night, saw the, the arm, typical sort of cigar-shaped UFO in the middle of a thunderstorm hovering above some power lines on this camping field. And um, my, my, my father was a professional press photographer. So he had a camera ready, and he was trying desperately to take a, a photograph of this thing. Um, my mother said, you know, that she saw the portal for the creek, you know, the occupants along the side of it, and it sort of went up at a 45 degree angle and shot up into the into the sky, and that was it, really. I mean, I was hooked from there on in. I, uh, in those days, in the UK, getting getting any books on the subject of ufology was uh, nigh on impossible. I mean, if you, if you could get any, they were usually stateside. What I, I tend to call um, pulpy books, you know, the ones with the yellowy sort of edges on them, and they always had that peculiar smell, paperbacks. And they yeah, were yeah. always talking about small town America, which uh, I didn't know. Um, and I, I had a big map of, of the US and, the, and Canada up on my wall, and I used to sort of mark, mark off the little towns in the Midwest, trying to figure out, even then, trying to figure out patterns of these sightings, these really weird events in places I didn't have a clue how to pronounce, not know where they were. <laughs> and... Uh, so I used to scour bookshops, and and then luckily um, the British UFO scene started to take off. We had people like Brisney Lepore Trench, um, the author, and and uh, the Warminster mystery started to creep up. Um, I was very fortunate. I met a couple of authors. Uh, uh, I had to travel some distance to find any meeting, <laughs> um, and I started to get 
you know, got a weird reputation with, with my friends at college because I used to take off on my motorbike to go up to to spend weekends sat up on uh, Warminster Hill, Cradle Hill, Warminster, with, with a vacuum flask of um, warm soup and a, a pair of ex-German World War II binoculars, you know, and, and an anorak, and um, just peer at the night sky, really. And that's how I, just how, how I went on. And then UFO magazine with Graham Birdsell started. I started writing a bit for Graham. I met him a few times at UFO conventions. And that's how I really got into it. Um, so when did that scene start uh, happening in the UK? UFO magazine around about the 80s, mid-80s. Um, that really took off then. Um, British ufology, we had, I think by that time, there was about five UFO magazines in the UK. And it was getting really quite popular. And... Um, and then I, I, as I said, I was still working full time. I was, I was a cabbie. I was, I had my own cab, and um, then I got, I got pretty ill. Uh, unfortunately, I got cancer, which, which sort of finished my career off as a cabbie. And uh, I found myself at a loose end. I was thirty-four years old, didn't have much to do, and by chance, I bumped into a guy called John Downs, who ran the Centre for Fortean Zoology in Devon, and uh, didn't know much about cryptozoology, but I, I, he ran a paranormal uh, group as well and got chatting to him and ended up working with him full time and landed myself a job as a paranormal journalist for the local paper. And that's how I got into being a full time paranormal journalist, which uh, I did right up to this year. I've just basically slowed down a bit now. Wow. <laughs> no, that's great. That, you know, I ended up doing TV and, and film work and press work for that. So, you know, over the years, I've, I've sort of uh, crazy ufologist is a name for myself, actually. I suppose I'm a bit crazy. I mean, <laughs> I never made much money at it, but I've got a passion for the paranormal and a, a passion for ufology, which is probably as, as bright now as it was 40 odd years ago. You know, I've never really lost lost passion for the thing. What is, it, what is it about that, do you think? Is it the mystery part of it? Yeah, I mean, when you're younger, I mean, <laughs> do you know what fascinates me more? It's the evolution of the subject. Mm. Um, when, when I remember coming in, and it had to be E.T., you know, in the back, back when I first started, everything had to be alien. It had to be uh, all UFOs were alien craft, you know. Uh, you either believed in alien ETs or you thought it was a whole load of rubbish. That mm. was it, full stop. Mm. Today, as we progress through uh, orbs and FTs, and now I, I've I've gone along with it, and I met it. You know, I was lucky enough to meet Eric von Daniken a few years back. Now, there's a lot of criticism of von Daniken's work um, for various reasons, which we probably shouldn't go into on air, but. I must admit the man was uh, very charming and seemed very genuine when I met him. But what I do credit him with, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for, is the fact that he made a whole generation of young men, myself included, young people, men and women, I should say, to be fair, uh, stop and question what we've been taught at school and at yeah. college and to actually open our minds up to other possibilities. Because I've got a passion for history as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I think, you know, he hasn't been given enough credit for actually saying, look, hang on a minute, don't accept what you've been taught, especially in history. Don't accept it as being the gospel truth. Question things, you know. And I actually started questioning my, my tutors at college and sort of saying, well, you're saying with that, uh, what happens if it, it's not like that? What proof have you got? Uh, <laughs> how do you explain these drawings? How do you explain these artifacts? Yeah. And I found that they didn't have the answers. No. And so, you know, and then... And then ufology progressed again, and I met people who were into um, electromagnetic uh, propulsion systems and, and interdimensional craft, and you know, and advanced technology military-wise. So now you've got you've got not just do you believe in ET, do you believe in UFOs being ET or not? You've got 
in, in that, you've got a sort of subdivisions of all these different interests. And it's amazing how the subjects branched out and grown over the years. And I think that's great. I mean, uh, it, it leads to very interesting discussions sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> a few heated arguments. So <laughs> how, have you, how have you changed your feeling about the subject as, uh, as the culture of it has evolved? I have changed. Um, like most people, when I started out, I purely believed they were ET. Uh, you know, they, they had to be alien because there's no way we could ever have a you know, craft that advanced. But um, thanks to Von Daniken, thanks to the, the evidence that's come forward since, I then started thinking, Haha, you know, black technology, mm-hmm. Area 51, but we'll go into that probably later. Area 51, I, don't, I said that with a bit of a giggle. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and going through that, and then you branch into different things like MIBs, which I did a lot of research on. And then it goes into um, electromagnetic propulsion, which really interests me. Um, e- EMF work. And EMF, by the way, is something I've got a passion for. I think uh, electromagnetic field work is so important. We, we use it a lot in ghost hunting, as you know. But I think, I think there should be a lot more research with EMF and UFO sightings and locations because... There's so much evidence of, of EMF activity around the time of UFO sightings and around they don't tie it into the areas involved either. And I think there's a very close, uh, a lot of good research work could be done there. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one passion. But yes, I've altered and I know I think, yes, a lot of it probably is black technology. Um, a percentage may be ET. But my main thing is I think a lot of it is interdimensional. Now, whether that's from the future whether that's from an alternative uh, parallel universe but i do i my main thinking is a lot of it is interdimensional it would yeah. explain an awful lot of how they can appear disappear yeah. move so rapidly yeah. uh be seen by some people not others yeah it's it's you know i think it would explain a lot of that but you know again we're all still groping in the dark and yeah. that's part of the fascination of the subject we're still groping in the dark we could be in it for, like me for nearly 50 years and you still come across something new every day yeah I kind of agree. I kind of agree with you. It's a bit of everything, in in my opinion. A bit of uh, yeah. a bit of ET, a bit of interdimensional, probably more and more black projects recently. Time travel. Time yeah. travel. Like it, I think it's a bit of everything. Uh, time travel is a fascinating one, isn't it? I I, I don't know um, if you guys would agree with me on this or not, but I mean, if we were to travel back in time, you know you. I don't know if you, you guys are secret Trekkies. I was when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big and Trekkie You, you, you sure. know the non-interference directive they used to have. You can yeah. go back in time, but you mustn't interfere for the ripple effect. The prime directive. That's the one. Well, now, if you, if, you, know, if you put yourself into a time traveler's shoes and you've got this craft, this fantastic traveling craft, and go back through time, we, they would, we would do what UFO appears to exactly do. We would take samples. We would observe. We would definitely not interfere and we would not alter the course of history, but we would do basically what they seem to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even down to the points of, you know, mutilations. Uh, another subject which fascinates me. Uh, would, we take, would we take samples from animals if we could go back in the past? Probably. Yeah. Probably. You know, uh, it seems an interesting thought that, you know, we could tie in an awful lot of alleged paranormal, and I use that with brackets around it, paranormal activity, uh, you know, to could be simply explained away by the fact that we don't understand the technology that's being used because it's coming from the future. Yeah, but uh, and that, does that mean that the time machine has to already be invented? 
Is that, uh, was that one of the paradoxes? <laughs> you could only go back as far as the day the time machine was. I don't, you, I don't know. I might my time no, no, time stuff is kind of hazy. But you know MIBs, right? Okay, Men in Black, yeah. like Will Smith. Yeah, I love the film. So yeah, they're great. Fun. <laughs> but I mean, the, the the thing with MIBs is everybody associates them with starting in about the 1950s in the US. I think that, you know anyone if you say MIB, they think 1950s Cadillac, two men in black suits, blah blah blah. Yeah. I actually, when I was doing the research for for a book, I I, I found an MIB type uh, report on the front page of a 1909 English newspaper. Um, now, the UK in the early 1900s were, was going through these mystery airships that were being seen all over the, all over the country. Mm-hmm. And, but this one came from Humberside, which is on the northeast coast of the, of the UK, and it involved two guys who suddenly mysteriously came up in a black automobile, which and again was a rarity in those times, uh, got out, asked these local workmen who were digging a trench about uh, any sort of uh, strange airship activity that had been seen, uh, whether there were any mines laid in the river next to it, and then asked them for directions to uh, some house or another, got into this automobile and sped away. Well, I can only imagine they sped away at about five miles an hour, but they, they sort of sped <laughs> away. And, you know, it, it read as your atypical UFO MIB report. And this was from 1908. Uh, so it makes you wonder whether, you know, MIBs have been around a lot longer than we give them credit for. Um, as my, my, my co-author of the book said, if we were to go back to Napoleonic times, we'd finally find two strange men clad in black getting out of a black carriage and asking the same sort of questions. Yeah. You know, it, it, They're riding black time, horses. Yeah, 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 time travel. Uh, why not? And, you know, I you think... do hear those old legends of, uh, you know, the Black Knight is always the, the force of evil. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Uh, you know, this, this legends uh, are a gold mine. Um, I, I come from an area of the UK. I was born and bred in a, in a place called uh, the Southwest Peninsula, which basically is I was, I was born in a place called Somerset, which is right down getting towards the southwest coast of the, of the UK, right down the, the bottom course. It's a peninsula right down the very end, mm-hmm. deep south. And um, in those parts of the neck of the woods, we, we, we were absolutely crammed full with legends. And um, it didn't help. It doesn't help having a lot history of smuggling and piracy as well. Uh, so, you know, they were akin to sort of making up nice ghostly legends to keep the, the customs men at bay. Um, but they, they do have a lot of legends about black cats, black dogs, um, ghosts, you know, uh, yelf hounds and the hounds of hell going across the moorlands, you know, Dartmoor and Exmoor. And that's another fascination subject of mine. Yeah, there's a lot of accounts of a, like I I don't think we have a lot of big big cat accounts about black yeah. cats over here, but uh, England seems to be just full of them, which is kind of weird because you guys are on an island too. You'd think you'd be able to to corner one. Exactly. Now you're getting back to my premise again about dimensional creatures. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there are places in England. I. I Although I, I come from the southwest and I live up here now, I've been up here about five years up north. There is a place near Birmingham, which is in the Midlands. It's halfway between the two, called Canic Chase. Now Canic Chase is pretty popular and very well known for UFOs and Bigfoot sightings, believe it or not, uh, and also sightings of cavemen-type creatures and uh, big cats. And, and you know, it's weird because the topography is virtually identical to the moorlands down in the southwest, where you get the same sort of thing: UFOs, black cats, not big feet, but UFOs and black cats. 
The difference being that this area in Cannock Chase in the Midlands has got a history of mining. It's it's riddled with underground mining works. Ah. And that started me thinking, well, you know, if these cavemen-type creatures suddenly appear, which they've, they've done, I mean, there's, there's more than one instance, quite a few recorded instances of Bigfoot and, and that. Well, maybe they are interdimensional, you know, and it would just... It, maybe the geology of the place has got something to do with it, or it's just a, a particular area that's got a rift, you know, where you, where you get these people suddenly appear and disappear. Isn't the fact that they're, you know, uh, physically running away? It's the fact that they perhaps just appear in our dimension and then just disappear again. Yeah, so it's it's more about the location or a portal than the enti- than the entity themselves. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the geology of one of the places I studied in the southwest is weird because two-way radios will. Uh, it's got very strange um, EMF qualities. Um, it's also got something like 13 or 14 tumuli, you know, burial mounds from the Iron Age and a perfect Iron Age fort on it. Hmm. Uh, if you go dowsing on it, the dowsing rods go crazy. It's quartz composite with running water underneath. It's, you know, and again, it's this EMF connection hmm. again. It's strange geomagnetic sort of weirdo things going on. And, but they seem to to manifest themselves more in areas where you've got high levels of, of all sorts of paranormal activity. And that includes a lot of UFO work. Yeah, so um, you're seeing a lot of correlation between UFOs and all kinds of other paranormal cryptozoological activity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The number of, of, of cases that I've, I've come across in the past where you have UFOs and black cat sightings in the same area, or you've got UFOs, in, especially in the States and, and, and Canada, you get UFOs and Bigfoot sightings in the same sort of area. Mm. Um, there, there is definitely a reason why these things. Uh, John and I, uh, John and I, I keep on about this book. And I don't like pumping books out, but no, go ahead. Oh, by all means, yeah. We uh, we postulated a theory that perhaps certain areas and, and the, the area we we covered in the southwest had been or are areas where you get heightened uh, human emotions going on, i.e. religious ecstasy or battle sites or somewhere where you get a high amount of energy or fear. And we were, we were exploring every possibility to explain it. Mm-hmm. And we came across, uh, postulated a theory that perhaps it had to do with something with organ energy and Wilhelm Reich's work. Mm-hmm. And these, perhaps there is a, a creature or uh, an organism or something like that that needs to live on fear. And to, to produce fear, it creates these, you know, scary events because it needs to feed. It's it's based on Wilhelm Reich's work. It's quite complicated to explain, but quickly on a radio program. I mean, this again, this is quite, listen, you know, it's it's, it's it's grasping at straws of of trying to tie together known science with an unknown phenomena. Uh, and you've got to fill in the gap in the middle, you know, and it's, it's great. Uh, uh, Sorry, hang on. Sorry about that. My, my wife just passed me in. <laughs> it's good. Sue, Sue's been with me for 34 years, and uh, God bless her. She's my she's my right arm, and um, she's just reminding us. Yeah, anyway, I mean, we do we do a few films together because Sue's a medium, so oh, we, we sort of work as a medium and a paranormal researcher together, which is quite good fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sue's a total skeptic. Would you believe? No, she's a medium. And we have we have a few arguments on film, which is quite interesting. So there you go. Uh, so Nigel, it seems like you were definitely finding some uh, correlation between all different aspects of of the paranormal and UFOs and such throughout your research. Yeah, I mean, 
although we, we, we put this in the book, I, do, I don't want to say, look, this is definitely what's happening. Because I think you, you get into the age where you're getting a little bit, you know, I would be getting very pompous if I said, look, I've got the answer to everything. Yeah. Because uh, I don't think anyone has found the answer to all paranormal activity, but I'm sure there is a common denominator. Yeah. I am, I am positive that there is a common denominator between all, uh, again, I use the word paranormal with parenthesis around it because I don't, I can't remember who said it. You have to forgive me. I'm going to abbreviate a very famous quote that says there's no such thing as the paranormal, but the normal that we have yet to understand. Yeah. And I think that that's a very good quote, you know? Yeah. I love that. It, uh, it, it, but I'm sure that there is a link be between cryptozoology, crypto animals, creatures, UFOs, ghosts, um, psychokinesis, ESP, mediumship. I'm sure all these have a common denominator, and it's been not only my aim, but the aim of a lot of very, very good researchers I've been fortunate enough to work with and meet, you know, to find that common denominator. Yeah, yeah. yeah which so, could easily be consciousness. or It could be. Yeah, I, I agree. Oh. <clears throat> quick quick question. Would you throw crop circles into that mix too? <laughs> Um, yeah, provided they don't happen when the college breaks up and the pub's nearby. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I think there are genuine crop circles. Yeah, um, there are definitely some very well-made man-made fakes. Yeah, which are fantastic works of art, but annoy the farmers immensely. Um, but yeah, I, th I think I think you could you could possibly put yeah, why not? Yeah, put yeah. crop circles. Yeah, talking about well. the genuine ones, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, there are. Um, there have been some very interesting research on crop circles in the past. I can't remember the name of the guy. I met him once. I can't remember the name. He actually produced music uh, via a MIDI computer program from crop circle patterns. Mm. It was fascinating. You know, the, the amount of – this is, again, the reason why I love the paranormal so much, because you go off on a tangent and people start doing their own bits of research at a different angle yeah. to the mainstream. Yeah, it's all about the rabbit <laughs> holes. Yeah, exactly. And in a way, isn't it brilliant? Because if we were all heading in the same direction, we'd all be arguing all the time about the same thing. But then someone, will, you can go to a convention and someone will bring up an idea and you think, whoa, that's a bit left field, you know. And then you sit down and you start looking through it and you think, wow, hang on a minute, they've got something here. And that leads you off on your own little branch of research, you know. And it, it's, gosh, I just love the subject. You know, I love, you mentioned the word paranormal, I'm like a rabbit to a light, you know. You don't, you know that's it. <laughs> crazy yeah i'm crazy okay i admit so, it so so that that kind of brings us to some of the the big cases that you've investigated over there like the ufo flap and the mammal mutilations yeah. and all that kind of stuff you want to get into that a bit yeah well i was very fortunate um you know if you're a paranormal researcher the chances of you being in the right place at the right time are pretty well zero <laughs> uh, you usually come in before the event or after the event um and you certainly don't live near it uh, but as I, I was, as I was saying, I, I recently uh, retired from taxi driving full time, and uh, being a bit ill, I was a bit of a loose, loose, loose end. And I noticed in the local, the local paper, the local rag, there was a couple of UFO sightings, which in, in itself wasn't totally unusual, but it was a bit weird. You know, it was it was not the usual run of the mill thing down that part of the world. Mm -hmm. And this is in a little little seaside fishing village called Exmouth, which is. About 13 miles from Exeter, down on the southwest coast of England, and it's uh, on the southern coast. Give you guys a good bearing. Plymouth is about 40 miles south of it, so you know it's, it's up in the Lime Bay area. And anyway, I had these UFO sightings again. Nothing pretty spectacular. A few orange orbs, 
and um and being i was sort of mad keen i had about 500 books on the subject then um i, I got interested and i just started reading it and I, I phoned up the local paper and said look you know these are really interesting can you give me some details of who, who report it can i you know would it be all right if i went around and had a word with them because i'm just well into the subject and i'd like to have a chat so they, they gave very kindly asked the people if i could come around and i did and i interviewed the, the people concerned and i thought this is a bit strange in this town we don't seem to get very much of this and uh then all of a sudden it sort of exploded and in like i say in the first week or two they had something like 40 or 50 sightings and it wasn't just orbs it was axe head shaped craft mm. it was fts it was flying circuses type of craft like a five fairground one person described it as wow and the local paper got in a bit of a flap over it and uh, my brother-in-law uh, was then sports editor of, this, of that paper and he was having a chat with the editor one day the general editor and he said, well, I don't know if we're going to write about it because none of us in the, in the crew know much about UFOs. And, you know, he just said, well, my brother-in-law's into UFOs. been there for years, knowing that I'd have passion and <laughs> things. And before I knew it, I had a phone call for the local newspaper editor saying, uh, hey, uh, do you fancy doing a piece for the paper? And I thought, God, I'm, I'm no journalist. Well, okay, I'll give it a crack. I'd written for the college rag, and you could hardly publish what I wrote for that. But he said, okay, I'll give it a, I'll give it a go. And um, that was it. I was uh, before I know I was, you know, writing a regular column on the paranormal, and all of a sudden I had to be not only master of one trade but jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to be because people started reporting black cat sightings at the same time, mm -hmm. and then they started reporting strange deer mutilations on this common, which is about two miles north. Um, strange what? Strange deer. Deer, deer, uh, deer mutilations. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, they were they were finding carcasses of deers hanging up in trees, stripped of all the flesh except for the the bone. You know, the bones were smooth, so they obviously hadn't been cut. The flesh hadn't been cut off. There was no knife marks. Mm -hmm. They'd been just literally stripped clean, and hanging out of trees. And uh, I even got a phone call from one of the the local services. I shan't say which which military service it was. I better keep that to myself. <laughs> um, who said that they they'd actually been up there exercising and they'd actually seen families of black cats up there, male. Well, female with, with the young and uh, on night exercise especially so uh, I you know I started getting into that and meanwhile this UFO wave was going absolutely bonkers and we, we started getting uh, I think it was six witnesses from one housing estate one night with four different types of UFOs my phone was because my name and number was in the paper then um, I was getting phone calls at like three o'clock in the morning Sue and I and I was having to go out and I, I had to actually go out one morning at four o'clock in the morning and pacify with this poor woman who'd seen it with her, her kids had seen it as well. And they were all sort of crowded down in the, in the room screaming with fear near enough. And the thing had been an ax head shaped multicolored UFO, which had hovered over their house for about 20 minutes before shooting off. And uh, they honestly thought, I think they thought there was going to be like world of worlds. They were going to get invaded by Martians or something. And, you know, it really terrified the kids because the kids were about sort of, I think they were about 10 and then 10 and 9, 10 and 8, something like that. So but this was all going on. There were more mutilation cases. There were ghost sightings coming out of the woodwork. Now, a lot of this is psychology because if there's a lot in the local press about UFOs or you know, deer mutilations, you're going to get people coming out of the woodwork all over anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. imagination starts yeah. taking over and the psychology bit. And when was this? But in the 80s, 90s? This was in 1997. Okay, oh, that late, okay. Yeah, Yeah, it was that late. And and it started getting to the stage where I wasn't really getting much sleep. John and I thought we were Battle of Britain pilots, you know, ever <laughs> ever on the call for the next sortie. It got that bad. Um, 
And, and then all of a sudden I got a call from John one day and he said, uh, uh, dear boy, because he, he's one of these public school educated, lovely guy, but he's got this real robustuous voice. He's six foot seven and about 20 stone then. Uh, dear, dear boy, I've, I've got a, I've got a whale washed ashore down your part of the world. Would you go and have a look at it? And I thought, yeah, that's just what I want. I just have my tea. I really want to stand on the beach and look at a decomposing whale. But yeah, all right. And I, I went down and uh, sure enough, there was this carcass of a 20-foot uh, whale. Um, it was a, a common enough whale. And it had nothing wrong with it. There, was, there wasn't a mark on it except for the, the, the well, pardon me, the, the, the genital area. Um, the reproductive area, which had been cored out. And as soon as I saw the, the injury, the, the, the coring was about the width of a dining plate, dinner plate, and it was perfectly smooth and it was just bored right across and the whole section was missing. Hmm. And then I looked around the front and the front jaw was missing, lower jaw. And I thought, this is really weird. So I, I hung around, took some photographs and I hung around <laughs> upwind, I hasten to add, not downwind, um, waiting for the English heritage chap, because in Britain, English heritage, which is a government department, they're responsible for disposing of whale carcasses. <laughs> and uh, a poor guy come up, and I sort of said to him, you know, you, you do quite a lot of whales around the UK. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, you know, can you explain these injuries? Are they boat strikes? Are they some sort of um, predator? And he said, I, I've never seen anything like it quite frankly, he said, I've never seen that sort of injuries on, on a whale carcass. Well, being I was into ufology, when I saw those injuries, they rang a bell with me, cattle mutilation, exactly the same sort of thing, exactly the same sort of injury. And so I got hold of John, who is more a zoologist than I am. And we did some research. And when, when I, was, I went back through the local records, and I found that in 1987, uh, exactly 10 years to the, virtually to the day, They'd had another whale washed ashore in exactly the same part of the, of the shoreline. Now, this time, it was a rarer breed. It was what's called a Colbier's beach whale, and they're extremely rare. And this one, sure enough, had had its lower jaw removed. And at the time, they blamed it on souvenir hunters who were, who were after the teeth, whale's teeth. Mm -hmm. There's only one slight problem. This was a female, and female Colbier's whales don't have teeth. <laughs> um, so that was quickly discounted. But this one, again, had, had the injuries to the lower jaw was missing and also um, coring. And we went through all the zoological and, and, and uh, marine specimens we could think of. And the only thing we'd come up with is a, cutty, a cutterfish in the Pacific, uh, which bores into its victims. But that's only about, what, four inches across? This wound was the size of a dinner plate. Uh, I just couldn't think of anything else other than it was a mutilation case. It was a classic animal mutilation case, but on a whale. How clean, was the, uh, how clean was the cut? Very clean. It was surgically precise. I mean, that's what, that's what got me. I mean, it wasn't a ragged mm -hmm. incision at all. It was perfectly circular. If I didn't know better, I'd say it'd been done with a laser. It was that, that clean and that precise that, you know, it's like you would expect in a surgical operation. It was very neat. It was exactly as I'd read and seen the photographs of, of, of cattle mutilations mm -hmm. in the US and wherever. It was exactly the same. And at that particular time, what tied it in for John and I was not only because there was a middle of a UFO wave in that area, same area, but across the channel, which is about uh, 100 miles across the English Channel, uh, almost the exact opposite side of the channel, uh, a whole pod of dolphin were found 
mutilated on the shoreline. So it's it's very strange. It's very strange. And to have two instances, 10 years apart almost to the day, exactly in the same area, exactly during UFO wave and nothing, not one whale sighting, not alone a beaching in between, nothing at all. It's very weird and it's too much of a coincidence. From my mind, it's too much of a coincidence. much of a coincidence that there's all this ufo activity in the same time like how, how do you not put yeah you've together? got to i mean common sense would dictate well you know if these things because we had uso lights seen there at the same time uh, two long lads spear oh, fishing yeah. on the same area where the whales found the same headland uh, where it's spear fishing hmm. this light shot up out of the sea luminescent green light came up behind underneath them shot up out of them terrified the life out of them uh shot up into the sky and disappeared and they hmm obviously got out of the water because they were dead scared they're only young lads about 15 16 year old um got dressed at the same time their mother is driving a car up to pick them up because obviously they they'd sort of phoned her up for a lift and uh <clears throat> on the way there she suddenly sees a strange lit up creature running around she said as if it had led lights all over it run along and run in front of her car and disappear through a hedge on the road up to it this is sort of crazy crazy coincidental stuff that was going on it was like all heck was held mm. loose. Do you know you were, anything was on? It was game on for any sort of paranormal activity in that area. And it was mm. a, it was an interesting time, but it stopped. This is why we say Battle of Britain. It stopped as quick as it started. Um, we got to September, end of September. It didn't tail off. It was going frantic. John and I literally weren't getting any sleep. My wife wasn't getting much. Just couldn't keep up with the reports at all. <clears throat> uh, pardon me. Sorry, I got a cough in my throat here. And uh, it got to the stage, I say we had about, a, I think it was 100 and, 142 or 146 reports in three months. And that was just UFOs. I mean, it's just crazy, crazy ufology. And then one day, woke up, nothing. And the, the phone stayed mm. silent, and John's phone stayed silent. And we said, this is weird. And nothing. And you, you live, you know, you waited every day for the phone to go. Nothing. Completely dead. UFOs. That was it. Yeah, it just stopped. Like that. Did it continue uh, ten years later in the summer of two thousand seven? Oh, there's the weird thing. When it comes to two, when it came to two thousand and seven, I was running my own group then down there, and uh, I said to him, "Right, we're gonna this. This is it. We're in for a really good time. Nothing, <laughs> nothing. And yet I'd had records happening it from seventy seven right back to nineteen hundred and seven. Wow. But then it seemed to stop, and it as stopped. Soon as, you're, as soon as you're ready for it. Yeah, 
soon as we were already had the cameras and everything out ready to go, nothing happened. As soon as uh, the phenomena realizes that someone's caught on. Well, that's, that's what it. makes you wonder whether or not there's an intelligence behind it, you know, because they they play patsy with you, and uh, it's like ghosts. You hunt for a ghost, you can guarantee it. Well, you know, it's not a, it's not a performing animal, and no. you can have all the gear set up and nothing will happen. And then you're walking to a place with no gear at all, and you get scared out of your life by a really good ghost sighting. You know, it's just crazy. But that's part of the reason I think. Guess we all love the paranormal. It's yeah. <laughs> in the weird. That's- that's kind of what got me hooked when I uh, had my UFO sighting in Israel. I looked up um, after I'd missed the original sighting with a bunch of friends, and I'd looked up and I was saying, uh, please come back, please come back, Like I want to see you too. And then it appeared, and I spotted it at that time. So, Yeah, what part, what part of Israel? Uh, I was in Tel Aviv, right in the city, in a, in oh, a rooftop hostel. So, Well, I speak as a good half-Jewish lad. I envy you. It's one part of the world I've never been to. I should go, shouldn't I, really? Yeah, yeah, you should. Before it falls apart yeah well my mum's my maiden name was isaac so i mean if anyone has to go there I've, you know i've got all the credentials as they say yeah and I, i've never been there but uh i i said i i saw that ufo that beautiful one that floated down across, over the top of the dome and then shot off that was that was a crazy UFO sighting um you know the one i'm on about the, the light that descended over the dome and then yeah, the- and then and then a few more came out right after yeah. that were a proven hoax or whatever. So it muddied up the waters of the whole oh, thing, right? Boy. Hoaxes. You know, we, yeah. the bane of my life is Chinese lanterns. And oh I, yeah. I, and yeah, we've had a very big fire here recently, um, thanks to one of those. You know, they're about twenty p, which I don't know. Uh, in dollar terms, is about twenty five cents or less. And it then uh, this thing floated down into a uh, hundred thousand tons of waste plastic and set fire to the lot. Really? Yeah, uh, and it's it burned down a, a, a six million pounds worth of uh, factory and plastic waste, and it was all caused by this little twenty-five cent lantern. Oh wow! So we're hoping now that there's going to be some sort of legislation because there's no legislation; anyone can buy them, and they're a pain in the backside. They really are, and they're they're dangerous. They burn wildlife, they burn farmers' stock. You know, they come down to. Tow- I just think it it's great fun, but you know, there's a dangerous side to it as well. But they're not supposed to come down. They're just supposed to keep going up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, these things, you know, you know that is, isn't it? What goes up has got to come down. <laughs> <laughs> but not, not while it's still lit, though. <laughs> not while it's still lit. No, but this thing actually did. It burnt 100,000 tons of waste plastic. You can imagine, can't you, the toxic fumes and that coming off that. It's oh. just... Having spoke, so well, my, my sympathies to the Canadian people today. I hear you've had a really bad train crash over there, too. So I was sticking on the news at that earlier on. I was like, 80. 80- 80 tankers gone off the rails? Yeah. It's quite, quite nasty. How many? How many? Uh, uh, lots. They're reading 80 tankers. 80, 80 tankers wow. Wow. It's like a, it looks like Hiroshima going up there. I know it's wiped out the center of the town, which, you know, my sympathies to everyone over there because we're all human beings and nobody likes to see anyone hurt or injured yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, um, I'm a pretty international sort of guy. You know, I, 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 I sympathize with anyone in the world that has a... A natural or any sort of disaster like that. I don't care about politics or, or borders. They don't matter when it's human beings at risk, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's the same way we are, too. It's funny that... Uh... Yeah, yeah. Politics has got its place, but not when it's misery and, and suffering is caused. You know, it's, that, to me, that's when you put politics to one side, you just become a human being. Um. Oh, God. I'm getting on with sympathetic seat all now. I'm not talking about politics. Sorry about that. No, no, I don't... <laughs> You don't want to get me going on that, so. No, 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 no. Um, so back to ufology in the UK. We were just having a discussion the other day about um, the perception that 
the UK ufologists are a little more skeptical than our North American counterparts? Um <laughs> uh, bit more reserved maybe um skeptical yeah yeah maybe more reserved i don't know about skeptical either but some people think think so i think times are changing uh again i go back you know to to the roots yeah in the old days when it was just before uh, um you know uh, grizzly portention and warminster and it was also a lot if you wanted to get to read the in thing about ufology you tried to have u.s magazines and books um today no we got we got some really forward-looking young great researchers and um i think we're a little less reserved than we were i certainly grant you we're we're perhaps you got that english sort of reservedness built into us i guess um could be just the accent (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah, or they're all disinformation agents. Uh, yeah, well, we're trying. You know, um, we got a long way to catch up because I think I think to be fair, it was, you had the advantage of having the subject a lot more popular over there a long time before we did. Right. Uh, I can remember when I was at college. You know, there was only about half a dozen or so of us that were really into it, and we used to sit in a corner of a coffee bar getting slagged off by the other students. You know, and laughed at, and used to go, "Seen any little green men recently?" Which bugged me. You know, and yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, I suppose we were a bit weird. I was sitting, sitting with my mum's homemade tea in a flask, you know, and on top of a on top of a hill, looking at strange lights in the sky, most of which were either satellites or Venus, because I was too inexperienced to know what they were. Um, but, you know, yeah, it it look, it's it's like dare I mention Area Fifty One? Can we get to Area Fifty One? Oh yeah, by all means. I've got something really I, I need to say about Area Fifty One. Look, Area Fifty One, maybe ten fifteen years ago, was the place to be. Um, you know, and, and today everyone assumes if you go to Area 51, you're going to see a UFO. Uh, no, what you see actually is a couple of signs saying that you're going to get shot if you go beyond this point. And then you go up there and there's a couple of guys in a, in a, in a you know, Humvee or whatever, uh, looking quite mean. And you don't want to get shot. I mean, BBC crew recently sort of invaded it and got thrown to the ground. Did you read about those guys? They, they actually went filming and they got their cameras confiscated and they... <laughs> I yeah, got bust up a bit. And, you know, but then you think to yourself, well, hang on a minute, we all know now that the F-17 fighter was being flown out of, of Groom Lake, what, 10 years before it was publicly known about? Uh, B-1, no doubt, was the same. There's a lot of high-tech stuff being researched. There's a lot of Russian stuff that was worked on there in the Cold War. They've got a lot of experimental stuff flying out of there. So nine-tenths of the stuff that's seen isn't you follow UFOs, you know, ET UFOs at all. It's probably black technology stuff that's 10 or 15 years ahead of what we know. But look at it from the US military point of view, the government, call them what you will. Secret Uh, space program. It's a very cost-effective decoy. Uh, You know, you need to put a few signs up, have a few guys going around. You've got to have the place there to do your research and development work anyway. Um, So, you know, you've got this air of secrecy about the place. It's a functioning research and development base. Uh, but if you put a few guards up and you allow this myth to grow up that hey, it's you know we've had Roswell craft there since '47 or whatever, then uh, it draws all the people who are you know extremely keen to just one place. So it's like a magnet. You know, you've got anyone who really wants to get in and inside knowledge and the inside track are all going to make their place there. Do you guard that one place with a few guards and, and a few old signs and some and some CCTV so that people believe it's there? I think the real action, if there is ETs. Uh, machines being worked on and back back engineered 
it's probably taking place hundreds of not thousands of miles away in a base nobody knows about. If you like, it's a decoy. It's an it's an elaborate decoy that no doubt is a working R and D base. Right. But you know, it it's it just suits the American government to let people think that there's ET stuff there. So do you think it, Pine Gap is a decoy too? Uh, now Pine Gap, I'm not too certain about, but Area 51, I really. Yeah. I really believe it's more research and development stuff and black technology stuff. And and maybe maybe uh, the real stuff's going on in some of the labs. Yeah. Know, like the, the the normal labs that are just have well, you know, know, above got, top secret uh, clearances right. and, I mean, anyways, know right? All, you know, you and I wouldn't know where all the labs are in the States. Got a fair idea that there's a fair few of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe you not even of- in. Maybe not even in military labs. Maybe that's, that's what I mean. That's private, what I mean. Private sector. That's what I mean. Yeah. More like. Yeah, uh, I mean, what, what's the American defense through R and B budget for all the private companies? God only knows. I mean, yeah, billions, yeah. billions of dollars. But I mean, the, the thing probably trillions. Come to think about it, but you got these, you know, these stories of underground railway systems that link one side of the U.S. to the other, and all these yeah. underground. Uh, <laughs> Plus all the gold they stole after World War Two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got it in this country. We've got underground tunnels and underground bases here that go way, way back. I mean, some of the salt mines, you know, go date from about the 16th and 15th, 16th century. And they were hacked out underground in these massive great mines, and the government took them over and store. We've even got stories of, of, of steam railway engines being stored under Salisbury Plain in case there's an oil crisis that the government could just bring out these steam engines and run them around the rail network because of no diesel oil being available. You know, it's crazy crazy stories um so yeah i think i think you know area 51 interesting place no doubt about it if you want if you want to go there and take take a camera and, and stand you know the right side of the fence yeah you're going to see some interesting stuff there's no doubt about it I don't doubt the guys who say they've seen stuff and filmed it there yeah they probably have you know uh, i'd like to spend a night or two there looking at what's going on in the sky et uh i'd favor more research and development black project you know black black technology uh, fascinating, yeah, great to watch, but uh, a center of, of ET research and back engineering, probably not. I, I, I bet your bottom. Or at least, or at least not anymore. Not anymore. May have done in the early days, yeah. but once it got it got too well known. Have you noticed that you know the, the, the powers to be in the states don't put out that the great disclaimer about it, do they? They don't make a great fuss and say, "Hey, look, there's nothing going on here." You yeah. know, we, we we just do research and development work here. It's, you know. No. There's a load of rubbish to say we've got anything here. Yeah, they perpetuate the myth too. Exactly. Well, yeah, even even like that movie Independence Day, mm-hmm. they the yeah, U.S. They make... military was letting them use their soldiers yeah. and their jets well, and their everything. <laughs> no, they I think they backed out of Independence Day. No, well, right. they showed Area 51, didn't they? I thought. Yeah, yeah but they backed out of the uh, like signing off and actually uh, influencing yeah. that film, right? Yeah, they did. They they actually cooperate. <clears throat> they cooperated until it was mentioned that aliens were in AU fifty one, and then they stopped. Yeah, right. Oh, uh, is that know, how it went? Yeah. yeah. We've all, we've all worked. If you've been a journalist or you've been into ufology for a long time, we've all, we're all fully aware of the intelligence community works with disinformation and you know a, a lie of a truth of a lie, and it's like peeling back the layers of an onion. You know, so you, you can say, well, they obviously stopped because there's something there, but no, they obviously stopped because they want you to believe there's something there. Yeah. You know, so you've got to think, well, where does the truth start? You've got to, you know, they deny because it's true or do they, they say it's the truth because, you know, it's not the truth. And you you peel back these layers of deception over and over in the end. But I, do I know for certain? No. Educated guesswork, I would say, uh, based on years and years of watching Area 51, I'd say, yeah, 
probably at the beginning there was a lot going on there that we would be very interested in ufologists to know. Uh, is there something going on there today that's to do with, with ET back technology, back engineer technology? I would say probably not. I would say that it's a very convenient you know, place to attract everyone who is seriously into finding out. It's a lot. It's a cost-effective way of keeping keeping those people interested and in the wrong place. You know, it, <laughs> it, it's like it's like laying a honey trap for the for the bees in the in one part of the area because you want to keep the bees out of your backyard. You put the honey in the front yard. You know, they're they're going to get attracted to that whilst you're going or whatever you are doing somewhere hundreds or not thousands of miles away. That's my thinking anyway on Area 51. I like it. I like that theory. Yeah, well, I'll probably one day I might go out there and get shot for to prove it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose you've been to Stonehenge once or twice over the years? Yeah, I have, yeah. Um, what do you think of the place? Well, it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? Just brilliant. Don't forget what you're looking at with Stonehenge is a Victorian rebuild. Um, it, it, it may have looked something like it in the old days, but it, when the Victorians found it, it was a heap of tumbled down rocks and they... They actually uh, re-erected a lot of the stones of Stonehenge. Uh, Victorian romanticism. Oh, really? They, they don't tell you about that. Ah, well, there you go. I mean, the, the stones were there, um, but a lot of them have sort of toppled over and over the years. And so they did the same to Stonehenge as they did to the legends of King Arthur. You know, they they um, they romanticized it a bit, and then they, they thought it would be great to rebuild it. So this is what they did. They, they put a lot of the stones back up, like... Um, not all of them, but it, it's it's pretty well as, as it would have been, you know, but it, it is a rebuild job on some of it anyway. Not all of it, but some of it. Um, but, yeah, Stonehenge is, is fabulous. I mean, the whole area of Warminster, uh, of, of Salisbury Plain, if you go there, you've, you've got these hill forts and these tumuli and the whole place is an intersection of ley lines. There is an energy about the place uh, that, you know, it's... It, it sort of gives you the eebie-jeebies walking mm-hmm. across it. You, you, you can feel the place. You can mm-hmm. feel the energy, even if you're not sensitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you love know, that. I love that ley line shit. Uh, uh, there's a there's a there's a, a crossing here actually in Alberta that I've been trying to convince Graham to go check. out. Oh yeah, out. we'll go. We'll go check it out. I mean, yeah. I mean, Stonehenge just happens to lie on a on a an intersection of 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 uh, all the major ley lines. And I tell you another place which I'm very fond of. And that is uh, Glastonbury Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Glastonbury Tour. I've got a personal, a very personal thing. Can I can I quickly share it with you guys? Yeah, for sure. After the, after the cancer, uh, I had I had very serious um, and very sudden uh, major cancer surgery, and I, I I was pretty ill, and I couldn't walk too well. And then one day, for no unexplainable reason, I just said to my to my late mum. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a car. I'm going to drive to Glastonbury. And she said, what do, you, what do you want to go to Glastonbury for? You haven't been there since you were a boy. I said, I don't know. I just had this urge to go to Glastonbury. And uh, that was quite an undertaking because it's like a two-hour drive from where I used to live. And I, wasn't, I hadn't driven for nearly a year because the op was that bad. And I just, I unexpectedly, I got to Glastonbury tour somehow. And I sat in the car and I looked and it was raining at the time. And I... I looked up at this, and when you get to the base of the tour, it's, it's really quite a steep climb. It's mountain goat country. And I thought, what the hell am I doing here? Because I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm going to climb this hill. I mean, I could barely walk in a straight line. I was on crutches. And um, 
I got up and I thought, well, I'm going to give it a try. And, you know, I, somehow I seemed to speed up this hill. And to, the, to my life, me, I don't know why I wanted to climb the hill, but I sat, and I sat on this tour for about, I don't know, I lost count. It was dark when I came down. And it was about three o'clock in the afternoon when I went up. And I was soaking wet. I didn't feel cold, but I felt immensely fit. And I came home, and I swear to God, I, I, from that day on, my weight, which hadn't increased after the op, started to increase. My appetite came back. I threw the tablets away. I started living my life again. And I swear to the God, uh, on my mother's grave to this day, that that was the effect of the tour. There was some some energy in that tour healed me, mm. for want of a better word. It, it totally healed me, physically and mentally. When you, you know? say tour, what for all the listeners... Well, tour, yeah, to... yeah, sorry, I should explain. It's, it's a very large natural hill, yeah, very right, steep, right. large natural yeah. hill. And on the top of, the, of this very steep natural hill, which the Somerset Plains, it's floodplain, more. it's very flat land. Mm-hmm. And this this natural hill rises out from it, and mm-hmm. it's dramatic. I mean, we we're talking several hundred feet high, mm-hmm. and it, it's got a, a, the ruins of a church tower on the top. Uh, you know, for any of you guys who you want to sort of visualise it, go on the net and just punch in Glastonbury Tour, and you'll see a load of photographs of the place. Yeah, I'm there right Most now. It's uh, really good. In the, yeah. In the world. Yeah, we'll make sure that that's uh, posted in the show notes as well. So. And it's got, it's, yeah, it's got a fascinating history because Glastonbury had one of the largest um, abbeys in England. And at the time of the dissolution of monasteries in, in 1580, whatever, by Henry VIII, uh, he, he had the monastery pulled down and they took the you know, bishop of, uh, of the head of the monastery up to the top of the tour and they hanged him um, and then wrecked the church that was up there. But this, this place has had legends going back to the time of King Arthur. Yeah. King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table are supposedly buried inside this tour in a secret chamber, hmm. asleep until England's at home. It's, it's, it's really... It's wrapped up in Arthurian legend. It's wrapped up in, in, in all sorts of you were on about ley lines. Yeah. It's, it's one of the great mystic centres of the UK. Is is that uh, St Michael's Church at the summit? There is that where you were? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, right up at the top. So when you were there hanging out, were you were you in that thing, or were you on the hill near it? Or? I was right beside the tower, just looking up. Uh, and there isn't actually an inside because you just got the outer walls. You know? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, so is it on a ley line as well? It, it's the major crossing point of, of a load of major ley lines. See, we got to go to those ley lines, bro. Check that. Yeah, it, it, in in the nineteen thirties, you're going to have to correct me because I'm, I'm going off the top of my head here now. I've got a filing cabinet of a head, and sometimes <laughs> I get the dates a little bit. But I think it's nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties. A lady went uh, doing some aerial photography around it, mm-hmm. and they noticed that the fields and the hedgerows and the old ancient pathways it formed a zodiac around the thing. Hmm. And it's really fascinating. The pattern of the zodiac is formed by these sort of man-made features around the tour. So you've got this this really. Well, I can speak from personal experiences. I know that it actually healed me. Yeah, that healed me, and I can't explain it. And i you know, I'm not a new age guy. I'm, I'm really am not. I'm probably the squarest of the old hippies. I mean, but it's the thing is, it's just phenomenal. Well, I'm not a. I'm not afraid to say I am a bit of a new age geek, and I I like that story. So, it's 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 not alone. Um, there is something in earth energy. There is something in ley lines. I I know ley lines are an invention of a guy. You know, he he gave it the term. He happened to notice that you know the the points between these ancient monuments were on a straight line. Mm-hmm. But then you get down to church steeple, the church high high altars of ancient churches all lie on this ley line. 
And and the fascinating part is the consciousness around it, where you you had that uh, that feeling and that that draw to go there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And it came from nowhere. So what does your wife, uh, you know, seeing as she's spiritual and a medium and stuff, what does she think about that? <laughs> and my my wife, God bless her. She she knows what I'm going to say. You know, she's she's in bed. You know what yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Sue has a sort of strange contradiction in the sense that she is a full blown clairvoyant and clairaudient. She's natural. She's never been trained to it. You can take her in anywhere. Um, it doesn't have to be an old place. It could be a modern house, and she'll see you, hear, speak to people that aren't there. You know, to us, they they wouldn't be there. And as a researcher, I've I've deliberately set out to keep any facts I may know the place away from her. Right. So, you know, I, I will not consciously research a place before we go there. So I've got no way that I could sort of, you know, accidentally, subconsciously transmit any information to her at all. And we'll go to a place for the first time together and her hitting rate for accuracy is hovering around about 90, 95%, which I can't explain because there is no way Sue's not interested in history. She doesn't even really believe in ghosts to her. It's people that she's always had since she was a child. You know, it's just as normal as seeing you and I. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it interests me that you've got this contradiction where Sue doesn't believe necessarily in ghosts and the paranormal mediumship, but she is a fully blown medium. And I can prove that she's got that ability because there is no way she has got zero interest in history. So there's no way she's done any research. There's no books on where we go anyway in the house. And because all my research stuff is locked away and I make sure that, you know, if we're going somewhere, I don't leave any books or anything out. So there's no way that she's got any of this knowledge, but she comes back with names, addresses, dates, places, faces, clothing that fits the period for the person. And we find out lived there and all this sort of crazy stuff. And the accuracy rate, I say it hovers between 90 and 95%. And I can't explain it other than the fact that she is a genuine medium. That's wow. the only thing I can say. And I go out consciously looking for holes to pick. You know, I, mm. I'm I, I'm skeptical in the sense of my research. I'm thorough. If I, if I can find a logical explanation for something, I'll say it. Maybe she because can I even see through time somehow. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it could be. It could well be. I, mean, I, I posed an interesting subject question once in one of the articles I wrote years ago. And I, I, I said, I wonder if we are ghosts to the ghosts. You know, I wonder if there's another another dimension somewhere living people from this time or another time who see us as ghosts as well as we seeing them. Mm -hmm. It's a two-way thing. You know, are the dead really the ghosts or are we? That's what I think I called it. Mm -hmm. So you, you got this this two-way thing. It, you know when you go ghost hunting and you've got areas of, of high EMF and un, un, unusual EMF activity? Yeah, we call them vortexes or whatever. And I've always thought, I wonder what it would be like if you had an EM, EMF amplifier creating a vortex of increased EMF activity right on that spot when that activity is going on. Would you actually wrench open that, that crack in the, in the dimensions a little bit more? Hmm. Dangerous thing to do because well, you don't know what you release. <laughs> well, they've probably already done it in the labs. In the... Yeah, well, you know. Oh, we're right. We're going down the avenue Stargate, aren't we? But, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know. God help, God love, I love Hollywood, but you know, it's, that's another subject again, but it, it's an interesting thought. It's, I'm convinced that, that to me, the, the, the holy grail, the connection thing is EMF. Yeah. EMF crops up in every sort of type of paranormal activity that you can talk about. There is an EMF angle. Now, the thing is, 
to find out whether or not the event causes the EMF or whether the EMF is caused by the event. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. It's finding a way which way round it goes. Sorry, guys, I, I, I get a bit wound up with the technical stuff. No, no, that's good. That's the way I am. So have you uh, have you been plowing through any of the uh, the final batch of documents released by the the UK? <laughs> yeah, no, no no great surprises there. I'm sad to say. Um, you know they actually shut down the the uh, AS2A office now. The MOD they've actually shut it down. Yeah, you know? yeah, we we heard about that. So how, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, there's nothing in the UK that threatens UK military airspace. <laughs> Okay, so you can have an aircraft, you know, aircraft carrier-sized craft going over the North Sea towards Britain at 5,000 miles an hour, but that's not a threat to the UK. Uh, I think it might be. You know, um, I know we've got reputation, what we were saying for stiff upper lip and a bit, bit sort of reserved, but if I saw an aircraft-sized UFO flying over my head at 5,000 miles an hour, uh, I think it would be a threat. You know, I, I might consider that a slight threat to my personal safety, basically. <laughs> um it's, it's stupid. It's stupid. It's, you know, they've shut down one department. No doubt they've got another one somewhere buried deep in Whitehall or or um, the manor uh, out on Salisbury Plain, somewhere where we wouldn't know. I, I've no doubt that they've got their your own UFO department still within the MOD. And they don't have to deal with pesky fucking people asking for uh, information right. and emails and everything yeah, else I, anymore. I, I'm a, I plead guilty because when I was a teenage enthusiast back when I was like 16 and 17 and knew no better, I used to send letters off deliberately marked to Department AS2A at the Whitehall. <laughs> <laughs> and I, my mother used to say, you're going to get in terrible trouble. You'll be arrested. <laughs> and I said, yeah, wouldn't it be great? I'd get arrested. I can write it all up. You know, I was hauled off to some secret base and told to forget everything. Never happened, you know, you guys. Never happened. Same. Same. I still tempt fate sometimes, but... I have to be in that pesky mood to do it. So that's the crazy side of me, I guess. But, so what uh, do you got What do you got coming up next then? What are you working on? Well, I'm not working a lot at the moment. I'm sort of semi-retired out of the professional side now. Um, I've, had, uh, I've had arthritis the last couple of years. And uh, that combined with the, with the cancer scarring, I've uh, had to slow down a bit. I've had a couple of health scares. So I'm just going to carry on twittering, carry on doing a bit of writing for you guys. I'll, oh, you an article too. Sorry about that. I, I, it's not too well. I must get one done for you. No worries. Um, I, I, I just carry on loving the subject. I'm always loving doing a bit more writing, hopefully doing a bit more radio work. I'd love to do that. Um, and just actually keeping on my finger on the pulse of the thing. You never actually retire from this game. Uh, it's, it's too much of a passion to retire from. Yeah, I was always going to say, so, you know, my wife always laughs when I said I'm retired. She said, you'll, you'll die talking about UFOs. She's probably right. <laughs> if I don't kill my audience off of boredom, I'll probably die myself, you know. <laughs> oh, no, you don't have to worry about that. You've been a great guest. Oh, thank you very much indeed. Well, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you guys, and thank you for asking me to come on your show tonight. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed myself. No problem. We'll, we'll probably have you back sometime down, down the road. Um, so where can people uh, where can people find you? Okay, so, all right, uh, well, I'm still on the Twitter feed. Uh, it's at crazy ufologist. That's all one word. Um, I don't have to go through that, do I? Okay, no, C-R-A-Z-Y-U-F-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. There you are. Not bad for this time of night. It's half past, no, what's got oh, Yeah, crikey Moses. It's gone 11 o'clock at night here now. Um, <laughs> you can find me on, you can find, you can find me on Twitter. You can also email me. Do you want me yeah. to give you my email address? I don't mind being public. Sure, sure. But, it's all one word, no spaces, no gaps. Nigel Wright, 604 at gmail.com. 
Nigel Wright, 604 at gmail.com. You can contact me on that and and my Twitter feed. If you want to read the books... Yeah, sell, uh, sell some of your books. What are your books? I'm not going to sell my book. I don't get a penny out of it, would you believe, now? It's It's gone out. It's second reprints out on Amazon, and it's uh, called The Rising of the Moon, and it's by a guy called John Downs, J-O-N Downs, D-O-W-N-E-S, and Nigel Wright, you're truly... And uh, that's uh, that's on second reprint. You can get that on Amazon now. So there you go. And that covers the period that I was talking about, 1997 UFO wave. And we go backwards and a little bit forwards as well. And that covers our thoughts to do with Wilhelm Reich and and the uh, Orgon Energy bit. And it also covers a lot of tying in. Of, it's 200-odd pages long, so I'm, I can't really go into what it's all about. But it's yeah, no, that's good. That's great. It covers the whole theory of, of areas of high strangeness, as John and I called them. And that's, um, that's about it, really. I've got one, one out on Kindle called Chasing the Shadows, which was a feeble attempt at writing the first part of my autobiography. Um, I got worried the other day. I, I, I sat down and I thought, I'm going to write my life story. And uh, it took me all the 20 seconds on the back <laughs> of a cigarette. Uh, you know, I've led a really interesting and varied life, yawn. Um, <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's not been too bad and it's still going to you know i've got a few chapters left to do yet but i'm going to rewrite that one well and, we're looking uh, we're looking forward to, to reading that and also looking forward to having you on again well yeah. thank you very much it'd be an honor to be on anytime you like and like i say you know anytime i can give you any any sort of news on big stories this side of the pond i'll certainly come on and let you guys know about it yeah that'd be great you can be kind of our, our uk field correspondent and I, I, I could be the Merlin of the UK. I've got the beard. I've got the beard. <laughs> anyway, thanks very much, you guys, for having me on the show. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay, and that was our interview with Nigel Wright, the uh, the crazy ufologist, and uh, it was it was a great interview. I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. How'd you like it, Graham? Yeah, I I loved it. Loved the the healing story at Glastonbury. I liked the uh, mammal mutilation part. The UFOs connected with all the other high strangeness. Yeah, yeah, he's a, an interesting guy. Of course, uh, we'll link to his Twitter account in uh, in the show notes and uh, where you can find his books and, and all that uh, that great stuff. And, and we'll probably have him on again down the road to keep us up to date on what's going on uh, over the pond. Yeah, for sure. And if you want to talk about uh, right now uh, all our upcoming guests, we can do that for July. Yeah, next we'll have uh, our next guest will be Dennis McKenna, uh, which will be great. We'll be talking about his book, uh, The Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss, uh, which we've been looking forward to for quite a while. So so I can't wait. Uh, we'll be doing that interview on Wednesday. Uh, we'll probably have it out to you guys over the weekend. And then after that? Uh, after that will be Robbie Graham from SilverScreenSaucers.com. Um, we've got our, uh, our makeup interview with him. And then after that we'll have... Uh, the infamous Nick Redfern uh, talking about uh, all his books. Uh, his latest, I, I believe, is called Monster Files. And then even still after that, we have Michael Cremo and then Grant Cameron. So we were thinking if you guys want to ask any questions, uh, us to ask any questions to those guests, just send us an email. That's at uh, graham at grahamerica, G-R-A-H-A-M at grahamerica.com. 
Yeah, and uh, Darren at GrimerCa.com. Uh, and, of course, uh, our feedback line is feedback at GrimerCa.ca. Um, so I suppose uh, th- that about does it. Uh, we'll be back uh, back right away here uh, next week with uh, Mr. McKenna. And, uh, of course, we'll have links to uh, all of Nigel's stuff in the show notes, and we'll have links to all the music that you heard in this uh, this episode in the show notes as well. So uh, I suppose that's about it. Graham, do you have anything you want to add? No, that's about it. Thanks, Darren. It was great. Yeah, and uh, we'll catch you guys uh, next time.